you very much. <clears throat> what a great night. I love baptisms, you know. As a baptism, I think one of the young men who are being baptized, they said it best, you know. Baptism is not a symbolic act. It's a prophetic act. You know, communion is a symbolic act. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we take communion to remember what side of the cross we live on. But baptism is not a symbolic act. Baptism is a prophetic act. Do you remember when Elisha told Naaman the leper to go dip seven times in the river, in the Jordan River, when he had leprosy? And he dipped seven times, and when he came out the seventh time, he was clean. There's no magic in the water. But physical obedience brings spiritual release. And Romans 6 very clearly says that if we were buried with him in baptism, then we surely we shall be raised with him in newness of life. And so the really important thing about baptism, all those who were baptized tonight and those who have been baptized in the past, I, I love this part of baptism, but I think sometimes we don't actually share with people the power of baptism. And, you know, um, baptism is a prophetic act, and there's two parts to the prophetic act of baptism. One is, we put you under the water. And that's the part we talk a lot about. Like, we buried you with Christ. We put you under the water, and when we put you under the water, the first part of the prophetic act is your old man dies. God didn't modify you. He killed you. Your old man's dead. Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 47 times in the book of Romans, it says, you're dead, 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 times four, add seven. You're dead. But the most powerful part of baptism isn't when we put you under the water. It's when we pull you out. Because it says that if we are raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection, I mean, if we're buried with him in the likeness of his death, then we shall be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Therefore, consider yourself, next verse says, therefore consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. So when you came up out of the water, you came up as a new man. God didn't counsel the old man, he killed him. (laughs) You're not modified, you're transformed. This is the truth, and the truth will make you free. And sometimes we baptize people, but we don't teach them the truth, and they still go back. You know, when you, you, you understand that you're not in a war with your old man, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And our struggle, Ephesians 6 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, you're not in a war with your old man. You are in a war, but it's not with your old man. And if you believe you're in a war with your old man, you can't even win the war because you haven't engaged the right enemy. Awesome, Chris. That is such a good word. And there's a lot of people that believe that they're in a war with their old man. It's like, oh, man, I'm just in a war with my old man. No, you're not in a war with your old man. I'm sorry. You're not in a war with your old man. Your old man's dead. Dead people don't talk. (laughs) But let me tell you something. If you believe you're in a war with your old man, then you'll go back to the graveyard and try to raise him from the dead. Some of you, it's too bad that God told us to raise the dead because some of you have been raising your old man. I've been practicing every week. I raise my old man every week, and then I wonder why I'm not doing good. Like, stop visiting the graveyard 
Leave the old man dead. Stop grave sucking. People write all the time like, you're at Bethel, do you believe in grave sucking? No, graves suck. I believe in life sucking. I suck off the life of Jesus. It's a good word too. Thank you for that too. It's all right. I have brought my own encouragement tonight. <laughs> I figured out that if you're preaching what everybody else already believes, then you'll get a lot of amens. But if you're believing what they ought to preach, it gets quiet. <laughs> Hello. Awesome. <laughs> My father goes to this church. I can come and go as I please. That's what my grandchildren do. A couple years ago, my grandson goes to, my grandson goes to school, of, um, I'm sorry, the elementary school at our church. You know, we have an elementary school. And one of the security, he went to go someplace, and one of the security guards said, you, you can't go in there. He goes, do you know who my grandfather is? <laughs> My grandfather's your boss. You know who my grandfather is? No, I don't. Oh, my last name's Valentin. Well, I don't give a rip what your last name is. You can't go in there. I'll be talking to my grandfather. Do you know who your daddy is? <laughs> Some of you just need to remind yourself, like, you know who my daddy is? You better be careful. I wouldn't be messing with me if I were you. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You're, you have stripes on right there, a shirt. Yeah, would, you're, would you stand, please? What's your name? What's your name? Jazz? Jazz? Jeff? Well, you know who you are, right? We're not getting the word of knowledge right at this point. I saw courage written over you. I saw the word courage written over you. And I believe that the Lord's called you as a courageous woman. That you, um, I see just hundreds of people lining up behind you, and I see you like a steel punch, that you um, create um, courage in other people. That's called encourage. Like you give courage to other people. Like your courage is contagious. Like you're, you're actually, you have, you have a disease called courage. And it's contagious, and people get it through the air. They get it when you speak. And it also comes through touch and through sight. So when people watch your life, they get inspired by you. And your past has nothing to do with your future. You know, I want to just say this. This isn't just for her now. This is for you, too. The devil fears you at the place of your destiny. I'll only say it differently. The devil resists... No, keep standing. I'm done with you, lady. <laughs> the devil resists you at your place of destiny. Okay, that was really powerful. No, you, you lost your chance. The devil fears you at your place of destiny. That's how to respond right there. What I'm getting at, and let me, I, this is for you, but it's for you all. What I'm getting at, do you remember Gideon? Remember the story of Gideon? It's in Judges 6, 7, and 8. If you want to read the story of Gideon, for some of you young folks, you should read the story of Gideon. Uh, just, just one piece I want to pick up for you and for them. 
Gideon, of course, got reduced to 300 people, and he was, and then God gave him this great plan to go after an enemy who was more numerable, more, there was more of them than the sands of the sea, is the way the Bible expresses it. That would be a lot of people. And God says, I'm gonna, you're going to fight them with 300 people. And Gideon's like, what's the battle plan? He's like, we're going to get some jars. <laughs> Do you remember this? All right, we're going to get some jars and some candles and some trumpets. And what you're going to do is you're going to get on the top of the mountain where everyone can see you, and then you're going to blow the trumpets, and you're going to light the candles, and you're going to break the jars. Sorry, what's the plan? And then God goes, that day God goes, if you're afraid, Gideon, then I want you to go down to the enemy's camp and sneak in there and hear what they're saying about you. <laughs> Here we go. This is for y'all, but it's for you specifically. So Gideon sneaks down with one of his men, and just as he gets to the camp, just as he arrives, he's, you can imagine, he's in the brush listening. And just as he gets there, one guy, the enemy, says the other guy, an enemy, hey, I had a dream last night. The other guy goes, what was it? He said, I dreamt of this tumbleweed came in, and it tumbled over all of our tents. And the other enemy soldier goes, that's none other than Gideon. God has anointed him to destroy us. <laughs> you understand, the, the, the devil fears you at your place of destiny. Specifically, at your place of destiny. And by the way, the devil knows your destiny better than you do. So he's not afraid of your past. This is for you now. Well, he's terrified about your future. Because you're specifically called to inspire and equip people with courage. That's your number one job the rest of your life. You'll come into places where people are fearful and you go, don't be afraid, I'm here. I've come to inspire you and remind you of who you are. And so I bless this anointing, this mantle to speak to the people of God and to people who are, don't know the Lord yet, to inspire them in, the, in, in their identity and to remind them that they are mighty men and women of God. And I bless you in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. That's a good word right there. Yep. Um, somebody right over here, you're, you're called to, to act. You're, in, you're called to go to Hollywood and act. Who is that? Would you stand up? Yeah? Is there, there's, uh, there's a, that's cool. There's a chick too. Good. If that's you, and you're right here, just stand. I just want to pray for you right here. You're called to the world of acting. That's good. If, over here, if anyone else in the congregation is called to the whole acting theater world, would you just stand? I believe the Lord said that we were to commission these folks right here. Mm -hmm. This is your... Is there anybody else? St stay standing. How come there were some people standing and you sat down? What? She left? Oh, she's right here. All right. Awesome. Awesome. 
Um, let me just say this to you. Uh, first, I want to give you a word of instruction. I feel like the Lord's giving me an exhortation for you first. This is not common for me in a public place. But if you'll remember Daniel's purity, then you'll receive Daniel's power. Wow. Let me just say it again. If you remember Daniel's purity, read the book of Daniel, then you'll receive Daniel's power. And remember, Daniel wouldn't eat the king's food, da-da-da, he prayed three times a day. The point is, is that he kept his convictions in darkness. And God caused him to be a light in darkness. A lot of times people go in dark, into the darkness and they become the darkness. But if you'll remember the purity of Daniel, you'll receive the power of Daniel. Okay, now I'm going to pray for you all. So put your hands out like this. This is just like, I receive that in Jesus' name. And you all, you all can get the overflow too. You know, you're like... So Lord, we just release right now, we, we release these folks that have been called to this world that we see as kind of dark. But Lord, we, we, are, we anoint them to take the creative information gate in the information age. That the age of creativity is upon us. And we pray for the creatives to take back that gate in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, that the most creativity, the greatest creativity would come from your people in whom the Creator lives. And Lord, I pray that you would break the boxes, not the boxes of, of morality, but that you would break the boxes that say, no, you can't, you won't, you can't do that, no, it can't be done, no, no, you won't, no, they won't, they won't invite you in if you're pure. Lord, we just say no to that, and we release these folks who have been called to write and act and to produce. Lord, we just release this right now, and we pray these are warriors in a gate. How many understand where I'm going? You know, in the, in the agricultural age, the military ruled the world, right, for centuries. In the industrial age, how many understand it was the golden rule? Who has the money rules? <laughs> but we're in the information age. And how many know you don't even need money to influence the world because you've got the Internet, all these other things. And in the information age, those who stand in the information gate rule the world. And so, Lord, we just release these gatekeepers into the creative age, the age of creativity. I don't even know if it's the information age anymore. It's the age of creativity. And we just release the creator into the age of creativity in Jesus' name. And just say, I receive that for myself. That's good. That's a good word right there. Thank you, Lord. That's good, huh? Mm -hmm. oh, we'll just preach for a while. Did we pray? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to be fatherly tonight. I mean, maybe always, you know. Yeah. Well, grab a hand, get a friend. Let's marry. Right? The very first command in the Bible was be fruitful and multiply. But that was after get married and be fruitful and multiply. Just making sure we're all on the same page here. So Jesus, we just pray right now that you would just 
that you just fall on this place, that you'd fulfill the prophecies that you've spoken about this place and this coast. We just pray for that in the name of Jesus right now. I want to stop for just a second and say something to you. Keep, just stay, stay in prayer. Jacob laid his head on a rock and had a dream. And in the dream, he saw angels ascending and descending. When he woke up, he said two things that I think are powerful. One, he said, God was here and I didn't know it. And the second thing he did is he said, this place will be called Bethel. It was formerly called Lutz, L-U-Z. It means a place where there was almond, probably an almond orchard. He said, no longer will this place be identified by its natural characteristics. From this day on, it'll be, it'll be identified by the encounter I've had here. So I'm, now I'm going to pray some more. Some more I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray that the coast would be identified by the encounters that people have here. That literally that the encounter would change the DNA of the land and would open up a heavenly gate in which people come here and they go, oh, God was here and I didn't even know it. And I pray that there would be a lot of God was here and I didn't even know it, that tens of thousands of people all over the world would be impacted by God was here and I didn't even know it kind of stuff. They would come here as transients. They would come here for marijuana. They would come here for all kinds of crazy reasons. But when they get here, they would find their purpose their place, their people, and their destiny. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Tonight I want to talk about transforming your life. How many would like to have a completely transformed life? Like, like completely transformed life. Like, not partially, not like mostly, but completely. A completely transformed life. I want to talk about a completely transformed life. If you'll turn to Romans 12, I want to talk to you about transforming your life by transforming your mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may, be, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You know, somebody once said, You are not what you think you are. And you are not what others think you are. But you become what you think others think you are. <laughs> now, John Maxwell, the great leadership teacher of our time, maybe one of the greatest leadership teachers of all time, said this. He said, that's not exactly accurate. He said, you're not what you think you are. You're not what others think you are. But you become what you think the most important person in your life thinks you are. <laughs> Did you get that part? He said, you're not what you think you are, and you're not what others think you are. But you become what you think the most important person in your life thinks you are. I've shared this before, but this is a great launching point. I totally agree with that. If the most important person in your life is God, then you become what you think God thinks of you. But here's the problem. If what you think God thinks of you is not what he thinks of you, then you're not becoming what God thinks of you. You're becoming what you think he thinks, which isn't what he thinks. How many understand, if you, what you think God thinks isn't what he thinks, then you're not being conformed to the image of God. You're being conformed to the image that you think he thinks, which isn't what he thinks. So you're not becoming what God thinks of you. You're becoming what you think he thinks, which isn't what he thinks. Are you with me? 
if what you think he thinks isn't what he thinks, then you are not being transformed into what God thinks. You're being transformed into what you think he thinks. But because it's not what he thinks, then you're not being transformed into what he thinks. <laughs> and what I'm getting at is this. Is that, it, isn't it interesting that in order to be transformed, you have to think what he thinks. Follow me. Not what you think he thinks, but what he really thinks. And that's why... We need to be transformed because we've been deformed. How did we get deformed? By not thinking what he thinks, but by thinking, but thinking what we think he thinks. And because we're so convinced that what we think he thinks is what he thinks, but when it's not what he thinks, then how many know we've been conformed? Are you with me? We've been conformed into the image of the world because the world tells us what to think about God. No, no. Let me say it right. The world tells us what... They think he thinks. Now, a really powerful thing about this, it says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the word transformed is in Matthew 17, verse 1. I'm sure you'll remember this story. It says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and his brother, and they led him to the high mountain. You know, if they had Ringo, they'd have a band, right? And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Let me just say this. It says that they went up, they, in fact, we call this the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes up with three of his disciples onto a mountain. He sees Moses and Elijah, and it says that he's transfigured, that he's transfigured before him. That word transfigured is the identical Greek word transformed. In other words, when Jesus went up to the mountain, and he became, and he's his garments glowed and his face glowed white. That's the same exact word. Don't be conformed, but be transfigured. Be transfigured. How do I change my life? Listen, you can't change your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't change your life. But you can change your thoughts. Follow me. Follow me. Listen, look right here. You can't change your life but you can change your thoughts. If you change your thoughts, he'll change your life. How do I change? I'm sorry, you can't. You can't change your life. How many of you tried before? You cannot change your life, but you can change your thoughts, and if you change your thoughts, he'll change your life. There's a really interesting principle. It's called the principle of first mention. It basically says this. It says, in fact, let me just read it. It'll be easier. The first time you hear about a subject, it lays a foundation for a new way of thinking. It becomes the lens in which you view that subject from then on. Okay, the first time you hear about a subject, are you with me? That isn't that, isn't that information that you received the first time you hear about a subject. That information you receive isn't just information. It becomes a lens in which you view that subject from then on. In other words, the second time you hear about that subject, let's say your mother tells you one thing the first time, and then you go to school and your friend tells you something else. The first time you hear about a subject, that's, that becomes the foundation of what you think about that subject from then on. So the next time you hear about that subject, you're actually viewing that same subject through the lens of whoever taught you first. It's called the principle of first mention. I actually think that God put that in our hearts. 
In other words, I think that God established that as a foundation in our lives because our parents, who supposed, are supposed to love us and be healthy, I understand I came out of an unhealthy home, but follow me, that our parents were supposed to establish the principles for life. And once we leave the house, whether we leave the house to go to school or whether we leave the house at 18, are you following me? Somebody else teaches us about that same subject, but if it's different than what our parents taught us, then it is judged as a yes or a no depending on the foundation we already have. What I'm getting at is this, is like, for those of us that are very concerned about morality, and we have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, we're like, ah, the school system is teaching them about sexuality in ways that we think is perversion, is immorality. We think, well, they're teaching them homosexuality and bisexuality and all these things are okay, and, and if you're anything like me, you're concerned about that. I'm concerned about that. I have no problem with, I don't believe the government has the right to tell two consenting adults what they should do in their bedroom. But I don't want those same people to tell my children what's normal. How many know cancer is common, but it's not normal? (laughs) We have to differentiate the difference between common and normal. There are lots of things that are common that shouldn't be. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Chris, for that. No, follow me. I think that we, and I'm not preaching on morality tonight, but this is a great, I think it's a really important Parenthesis. If we as parents teach our children about life, about sexuality, about relationships, about right and wrong, about justice and mercy, and so on and so forth, if we teach them about morality when they're little, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, all the way up in their teens, if we teach them first, we don't have to worry about the public school system. Because my kid's going to be sitting in their science class and learning about the biology of sex, and they're going to be, no, no, that's not what my mother said. (laughs) Let me tell, hey, sorry, you got a question? No, I got an answer. That's not what my mother said. Let me tell you what my mother said. Let me tell you what my daddy said about that, y'all. See, because they didn't just hear information, it became impartation that became a lens in which they view morality. But part of the challenge is we're, we're, we're railing against the machine, but we don't go home and teach our children what God says about this stuff. So that they're actually like, we're actually glad they're in the biology class. Because when they talk about sexuality, my kid's not going to have questions. He's going to have answers. Good word, Chris. Thank you for that. So you can't change your life, but you can change your thoughts. Will your thoughts change your life? No, but he will. (laughs) Ephesians 4.21. How do I change my life? If indeed you've heard of him, speaking of Jesus, and have been taught in him, speaking of Jesus, just as truth is in Jesus... That in reference to your former manner of life, you laid aside your old man, which is corrupted in accordance with lusts of deceit. That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the what? Spirit of your mind. Well, that's interesting. And you put on the new self, 
which in likeness, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. How many of you know, you're like, how do I change? Take off the old man and put on the new man. I take him off. I leave him off. Well, I'm in a war with my old man. Well, he's not a very good fighter. He's dead. It looked like you're wearing a dead, you know, can you imagine you're wearing a, you know, you're wearing a bear coat? It was like, you're wearing a bear coat and you're talking about how the bear's after you. The freaking bear's dead. Some of you are wearing an old man coat. You got the old man coat on. You're like, I got the old man coat on. He's like, he's attacking me. No, he's not attacking you. You just look stupid. And he said, <laughs> and he said that you're in reference to the former life, you lay aside your old self, which is in corrupt, which is in accordance with the corruption of the lust of deceit. And I, I want to say this that. It's really important that we learn how to deal, that we learn how to manage our appetite. <laughs> that we learn how to manage it. Like, you're not supposed to get rid of your sex drive. You're supposed to manage it. And one of the ways we learn to manage it is to learn how to delay gratification. Here we go. <laughs> I teach young people all over the world, like, you need to learn how to manage the monster. <laughs> You'll need to learn how to manage your sex drive. And by the way, when you get married, some of you are like, oh, I'm going to get married and I have sex every night three times a day and then I'll be fine. <laughs> For those of us who are married, probably not. <laughs> probably not. What I'm getting at is this, is that you're going to have to learn to manage your appetite for sexual... For your, you're going to have to learn to manage your sexual appetite even when you're married. How many understand you're going to have to manage it towards one person and so on and so forth? This isn't a marriage class, so I'll save you some of the details. Not for my sake, but for yours. <laughs> I have parents write me all the time. This is, this is a pretty weekly thing. How do I teach my children how to manage their sex drive? Oh, that's actually pretty simple. See, you teach them how to manage their need for instant gratification when they're really tiny. When little Johnny wants a candy bar when you're in the store, and he screams and yells and hollers and makes a scene, and, and, you, and everything in you as a mom or a dad wants to give him the candy bar to shut little Johnny up, I'm going to tell you something. You are teaching Johnny things he will need into his adulthood when you don't give Johnny the candy bar and he let us scream his butt off and embarrass you in front of everybody and you, you whisper in his ear, when I get home, when you and I get home, we're going to have a CPS moment. I'm going to whack you where the sun don't shine. And I'll start to tell Johnny <laughs> that I believe in Proverbs. <laughs> to spoil the, you spare the rod, you spoil the sun, and you start to tell him, little Johnny, remember I believe in Proverbs. 
You can scream all you want, but just remember that I believe in Proverbs a lot more than you might think I do. And what I'm doing is I'm teaching little Johnny how to delay his gratification. It's not that the candy bar is bad, it's that he's not getting it right now. And I'm saying that two-hour delay, that three-hour delay, or maybe it's something he shouldn't have ever, but you get the point. That, I want dessert before dinner. No, you have to have the dinner first. And listen, I know it's a little silly, but I'm saying it's simple ways that we teach our children. You can't always get what you want when you want it. Even if it's a good thing, you don't always get what you want when you want it. And guess what? When he gets to his teenage years, or she gets to her teenage years, and she wants, I want sex now, I feel like I want it, and therefore I must be born to need it. No, you're actually growing character. And the way I grow character is that I have a need, I have a, no, say it again. I have a desire, I have a a passion, and I delay my gratifications, and I put off my temptations. I am not my temptations. I am not the temptations I resist. I'm only the virtues I embrace. My mama, who just went to be with the Lord this week, two years ago she had an operation, and she was, you know, had a cancer operation, had part of her lung taken out, and it's a long story, but she was in the hospital for about three months. And when it was time for her to get out, it was really interesting, she couldn't walk. Now, walking wasn't her problem when she went in. <laughs> she had a lung problem. I'm like, okay, fixed her lung problem, but now she can't walk. And I asked the doctor, I'm sorry, I'm just ignorant, I've never actually been through this with someone this close to me. So I said to the doctor, well, what happened in the operation that my mama can't walk? He said, oh, no, nothing happened to your mama in the operation. Your mama hasn't used her legs for three months, so now she has to learn how to walk again. I'm like, okay. So then they send her to rehab for three more months. <laughs> and what they did in rehab is they put my mom in a walker, and they walked her. <laughs> this is deep. I'm like, what do you do in rehab? I mean, I figured out I could be a rehab therapist. You just put someone who can't walk in a walker and walk them around until they learn to walk again. But what I'm getting at is this. My mother's muscles atrophied because she didn't use them. In other words, I know this sounds a little bit silly, but us just working against gravity every day is how we build muscle. It's that I resist gravity. I'm resisting gravity, right? And those of you that work out like me, We know that when we go to the gym and work out, that you don't actually get stronger unless the next morning you hurt. <laughs> right? For everyone who wants to build muscle, the next morning you, when you wake up, you want to what? You want to feel it, right? If you don't feel it, you go, I maintained. Because the way that muscle is built is I go and I lift weights or I do whatever until I use my muscles Past where I used them before, my muscle breaks down, and when it rebuilds, it rebuilds what? Stronger than it was in the first place, right? See, the way character is built is I have a temptation. That's why God put two trees in the garden, or one of the reasons. How many know God put a good tree and a bad tree in the garden? God did. The devil didn't plant a second tree. Can you imagine, like, God, if you didn't want me to eat the second tree, why'd you plant it? Ah, because God 
rewards you for doing the right thing. And the only way he can reward you for doing the right thing is to have the opportunity to do the wrong one. But see, how I build character is I resist the temptation to do what I want so that I can do what I will. Did you get that? And remember the tree in the garden? The tree of life is not described. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one they weren't supposed to eat, it said it looked like it was good for food, and it tastes good, and it smelt good. I mean, if God didn't want me to eat that tree, why do you make a crappy fruit on it? It's like, oh, who wants to eat it? It's like eating a porcupine. But did you, get, you see where I'm going? It's like the thing I'm not supposed to do often looks good. It smells good. It tastes good. And God goes, if you eat that, in fact, here's what he said. In the day you eat the fruit, you will die. In other words, that thing will kill you in 24 hours. But why does it look good? So that I can exercise my character. I go, I want that, but I will this. And every time I do that, I grow. I'm growing my character. Are you with me? In other words, I am not my temptations. As soon as I take away, as soon as I say I am my temptation, how many understand, if I say I am my temptation, if I say, well, I am tempted to have sex with the same sex, therefore I am a homosexual. How many know, as soon as I say that, I stop resisting. As soon as I stop resisting, I stop building character. Why? Because I said I am the temptation. If I am the temptation, why would I resist it? <laughs> See, here's part of the challenge is that when I say the things I have passions for are who I am, how many understand that means I'm a virtuous person? Because <laughs> that means I have nothing I'll resist because everything I'm tempted with, I say that's the way I'm created. <laughs> Thank you, Chris, for that. (laughs) How do I change my life? You can't change your life, but you can change your thoughts. And if you change your thoughts, God will change your life. How do I change my thoughts? Well, one of the things I do is I say, the things I want are not necessarily the things I will. How many of you know there are things I want and I will? Let me stop for a minute and say this. It's not what you want that changes you, good or bad. I want a life with God. Awesome. Doesn't mean you'll have one. God's not going to let me have one? No, it's not what you want. It's what you will. That changes you. I could want a great body. You could be lusting over this body that I have. (laughs) Thank you. There's a thing called deception, too. I don't know if that's it. It just came into my head right now. But it's what I will. Let me say another thing. Whatever you don't manage will enslave you. Whatever you don't manage will enslave you. Temptation's called normal. Turn to your neighbor and say, temptation is normal. Jesus was tempted in every way. In every way. Well, you don't understand my temptation. I may not understand your temptation, but I know someone that understands all temptations. Because he was tempted in every way, and yet he didn't sin. So how many understand that temptation is not sin? I want to have sex with that woman. That's not sin. What do you do with it? Now that could be sin. 
How do I change my life? Sometimes you have to change your company. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Oh, we're getting there. You know, when you move from good word to, oh, I'm like, we're getting them now. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Listen, sometimes, and you're like, oh, you're saying we shouldn't have non-Christian friends? No, I think you should have non-Christian friends. The darkness needs light. Unless the darkness is seeping into your light. Then the darkness, Jesus said, if the, dark, if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, if you're this person who's supposed to bring hope, and they influence you, and you become hopeless, then how great is the darkness when the person who's supposed to bring light is dark? Uh, maybe say it simpler. If they're influencing you, they can't be your friend. If you're influencing them, you can be their friend. But there's some people, you come out of darkness, and then you bring darkness with you. I'm like, there are times when we have to dump our friends. Or just be really Jesus around them, and they'll dump you. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've met with young women And they're like, my boyfriend broke up with me. And I'm like, hallelujah, God bless America. Because I've been praying God wrecked that relationship in Jesus' name. Sometimes you got to dump the guy to actually move in righteousness. I didn't say always. But sometimes, well, well, Jesus put it this way. you got to hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. Or you can't be my disciple. Jesus isn't like, well, hate everybody. He's like, in comparison to the way you love me, in comparison to the influence I have on your life, they have to have zip. So when I say go this way, and you're like, well, my mama doesn't want it. My cousin, my girlfriend, my boyfriend's like, listen, who's your God? How I many you know if God says go this way, and your girlfriend says go that way, and you go that way, you have another God? And by the way, God doesn't like other gods in front of him. So if you're in a relationship that's gone bad, you might ask yourself who you've been following. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is such a good message. (laughs) He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. You've got to ditch foolish people. I'm saying when the foolish people are influencing you, you've got to ditch them. You're going to be a fool through osmosis. I don't know why I'm an idiot. Because you're hanging around with idiots. And when you're wise and you're stable, you can hang around with fools and they become wise. But when you're in a place where you're letting them influence you, you, you know, I'm being a little funny, but the point I'm saying is sometimes you've got to ditch your friends to follow Jesus. And by the way, I, I don't even call myself a Christian anymore. I mean, around my Christian friends I do, because they just get so confused. But I work a lot in the political world, and they're like, are you a Christian? No. I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, I understand it should be the same thing, but I've found that it isn't. I've found that there are people who call themselves Christians that do all kinds of crazy stuff. They have a lifestyle of sin, like, I'm a Christian. Well, I guess you can be a Christian and do that. But you can't be a follower of Jesus. 
let me just say this. Jesus didn't say, if you want to be my disciple, raise your hand. Everybody laughs, but that's how most of us got saved. If you want to be my disciple, you know, come forward. I mean, all that's great. That's how I got saved. But how many of you know, that may be the wedding, but it's not the marriage. Sometimes we replace the wedding with the marriage. We're like, I, I, I'm a Christian. How, how, how come? Because I confess. Jesus, find one place where someone prayed a prayer to find Jesus. I think you can pray a prayer and be a Christian, but I don't think you can pray a prayer and be a follower of Jesus. <laughs> um, people live with their girlfriend. They're like, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, you're not. You're a Christian. Christian means, it, it's, com, Christian comes to mean, I believe in the Christian philosophy. You can believe in the Christian philosophy, but that's not going to get you to heaven. I'm a follower of Jesus. Can I live with my girlfriend and be a Christian? Maybe, but you can't be a follower of Jesus because he's not going that way. <laughs> See how it gets quiet in here? Woo, it waves. <laughs> People write things like, can I be a homosexual and be a Christian? Maybe, but you can't be a follower of Jesus because he's not going that way. See, I'm saying people add all kinds of junk to their life, still agree with the philosophy of Jesus, and think they're believers. And by the way, you can be a believer and not follow Jesus because the devil believes in Jesus. And by the way, you (laughs) you understand that sin didn't originate with humans. It started in heaven. With the devil and his demons. Okay. (laughs) I'm simply saying, like, you can be a Christian. I'm saying you shouldn't be able to be a Christian. But then in this 21st century, you're a Christian if you agree with some teaching and philosophy. And people want to know, what are your doctrines of faith? I don't know if you know this, but I believe in reading the Bible. I read it every day. In fact, I read the Bible twice a day the last few years, and I've read the Bible once a day for at least 38 years. And I've missed a few days, so let's just be honest. But more than all, y'all, more than most y'all, so you understand what I'm about to say? I believe in the Bible. I believe it's the inherent Word of God, all that. I believe all that stuff. You can tweet that if you want. But do you know that the first century believers did not have a Bible? (laughs) All they had is the Old Testament. And do you know that most believers in the first century couldn't read it if they did have one? Because they are illiterate. And do you know that even until 1300, most people didn't have a Bible? Because there was no printing press. I'm saying, well, you're like, what are you talking about? I'm saying, you memorizing the scriptures is awesome. You should do it. But for 1,500 years after Christ, most people couldn't do that. In other words, you're identifying yourself as a believer, as a, as a Christian, because you adhere to philosophies that for the first 1,500 years, people didn't even have the right to do that. because they, I mean, they couldn't do that because there was no Bible. You know when they went to the synagogue and they got taught all day? That's because there's only one guy in the synagogue could read. <laughs> or maybe a few. 
No, I'm saying you went to the synagogue and you spent hours. The family would, you, you read it throughout the Bible, right? Even in the Old Testament, in Nehemiah, they stood all day while the priest read. Well, guess what? You were interested because you didn't even know it was in the Holy Book because you couldn't read. If you had one, you couldn't read it anyway. Where am I going? I'm saying following Jesus is not just reading your Bible and agreeing with philosophies. It's actually following Jesus. <laughs> This is deep. It's over some people's heads. Well, brother, I didn't get it. Yeah, it's so simple. It's hard to grasp. Well, do you mean, I mean, you have to follow Jesus. How do I do that? Actually have a relationship with him. Okay. I'm done with that for now. He walks with what? what am I supposed to finish at some point? You guys have a time limit, though? No, seriously. What time do you guys usually get done? Okay, so, okay, so I guess what's going to happen tonight is if you finish before me, you just leave. And if you're still here, then you're either asleep, listening, or slain in the spirit. How do I change my life? Turn to Mark 4, chapter 4. Verse 24. Am I, have I preached a long time? I honestly don't remember when I got to the podium. <laughs> I'm preaching the eternal gospel. Yeah. The only reason we wear a watch is to see if the date changed. <laughs> Jesus was saying to them, listen to this. Shh. Take care what you listen to. Are you following me? Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure... It will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. Well, that's interesting. Take care of what you listen to is not profound. But the next part is, by the standard of your measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. First of all, let's just establish. When he says, take care of what you listen to, and by your measure, it will be measured to you, and more besides. What's he talking about when he says, and the, by the measure that you met? I'm sorry, by the standard of your measure, it'll be measured to you. Do we agree that he's talking about listening? Okay, you want me to read again? I don't know if that look is like you guys are like zombies. That's very popular now. Take care what you listen to. Okay, the rest of the verse. By the standard of your measure, it'll be measured to you. Do we agree that he's still talking about listening? Because it's the same verse. And more will be given to you besides. More of what? Like, what does that mean? I am. I'm getting there. <laughs> just delay your gratification for just a minute. I'm not the techie guy on our team at Bethel. In fact, I'm the kind of like, I have a virus. That somehow transfers to the machines. I don't know how that happens. But uh, about four years ago, my team was like, hey, you need to get on social networking. I'm like, okay, what is that? They're like, you need to get on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, I don't like Facebook. And I don't want to do that stuff. And they're like, if you want to touch the world, you need to speak into the information gates. And so one of my PAs 
randomly set up a Facebook account for me. And she posted some of the things I said during the week on there. People thought it was me, but it was, it was her. <laughs> and I walk into a meeting about a month after that, and she goes, you have 5,000 followers. I felt followers. <laughs> That's awesome. How did I get them, and where am I leading them to? And she showed me my Facebook page. I'm like, well, those are my quotes. She's like, yeah, I've been putting them on there. I'm like, awesome. Well, then people were reading them. I'm like, well, that's cool. So I got 5,000 followers, and you can't have any more on Facebook, which I didn't know anything about that, so I started another one. <laughs> and within a month, I had another 5,000 followers. I'm like, this is cool. I got 10,000 followers on two pages. And one of my friends says, oh, I have 100,000 followers. I'm like, well, that's a lot of Facebook pages. <laughs> Literally, it happened. I'm just trying to tell you how ignorant I am. And one of my friends, I was at a conference. I go, yeah, I have two Facebook pages, and they both have 5,000 followers. They're like, why don't you get a fan page? I'm like, a fan page? Because I have followers. I don't want a fan page. <laughs> so the young man gave me a little lesson on social networking. And soon, I started a... My, I didn't. I don't know, even know how to do it, actually. <laughs> Every time I log out, I have to call my PA to figure out how to log back in. She gets so frustrated, like, write it down. I said, I did. I can't understand what I wrote down. <laughs> so I started doing Facebook, and then pretty soon someone said, well, you need a Twitter account. I'm like, I don't know how you say anything in 187 characters. I can't even say Hello. But they started a Twitter account. Pretty soon I had Twitter people follow me. I don't know. I know they're nicer. (laughs) And then Jim Johnson came over to my house about a year and a half ago, and she's like, hey, do you have Instagram? I'm like, no, what is that? She's like, pictures. I'm like, I don't even take pictures. I don't like pictures. (laughs) While I'm saying that, she set up an account for me. (laughs) Seriously, sitting on the couch. Oh, you have an Instagram account. Oh, look, I posted something. Look at that. You already have 200 comments. I'm like, 200 comments? I didn't even post that. (laughs) That's seriously how I got involved. It sounds funny, but it is true. And last year, for uh, almost three weeks, I was posting things, and the reach was 60 million people. I'm like, how far do you have to travel to talk to 60 million people? I couldn't believe it. And so I went into my PA's office. I said, look at this. Is this right? I, 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 I reached 60 million people. She's like, uh-huh. I said, we need to do more of this. <laughs> I said, find me an expert that knows how to do this on purpose. <laughs> so I actually hired an expert. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I paid this expert $2,000 to come and talk to us for two or three sessions and tell us how to do this better. And we did. And here's one of the things he said to us. And I'm bringing it into my teaching, because at least it'll pay for the (laughs) $2,000. He started talking to us about algorithms, which I didn't have. I had never actually, honestly, never heard the word. Or at least it never stuck in my brain if I did. Could be age. My grandkids' names don't always stick in my head. (laughs) And here's what he said. He said that... Algorithms are automated reasoning. And that literally, that 
large companies use the automated reasoning of the internet to market to you. And he said it kind of goes something like this, that they watch these companies use the internet to watch your patterns. So for instance, and this is what he shared with me, let's say that you want to sell fishing poles. Well, instead of marketing to 7 billion people on the planet, you can actually, through watching algorithms, you, can, you actually can tell who likes fishing on the internet. And it goes like this. If you, if, if you like Jason Valentin on his Instagram page, that the computer knows that he only posts fishing stuff. And it goes, okay, you like fishing. Now, let's say that you only like fly fishing. You don't like bass fishing. You only like fly fishing. Well, when you buy a fly, let's say you buy a fly off of Amazon, the Internet knows that you bought flies off, the, off of Amazon and that you like Jason's fishing Instagram. And it follows all of your patterns. And then what it does is it gives companies the ability to market directly to you. Are you with me? So then you get little things that pop up, right? On your, when you're connected to the internet, it pops up and goes, you might like these lures. You might like fishing. In other words, what you listened to was measured back to you and more besides. Now, you know that if you connect to a porn site, and you watch porn, if you're into child porn, how many understand that the internet also remembers? It's like eternity. It remembers forever that you looked at a porn site, and you looked at another one, and you looked at another one, and guess what happens? Porn pictures pop up. Not just any porn picture, but the kind of porn that you actually have an appetite for. Because you listen to this, you measured it, and it measured it back to you, and more besides. <laughs> now, Jesus said, take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you, and more besides. See, what Jesus tells us is that just the way that the Internet has an algorithm, and it feeds you the things you listen to by your standard, and more besides, so does the spirit world. <laughs> The spirit world listens, the, the spirit world observes through automated reasoning, through automated reasoning, what you listen to. Then it goes, oh, you like that? Then I'll measure it back to you. And I'll even give you more than you asked for. As a pastor, I've observed this, and all the pastors in the front row will mourn with me. Isn't it funny that when some bitter person, when somebody comes in your congregation or somebody in your congregation gets bitter with you, have you ever had them come in your office and talk to you guys? They don't go, hey, I just want you to know I'm offended with you. They go, I'm offended with you, and I'm not the only one. <laughs> so is Joe and Henry and Willie and Mary and Steve. And it's like, how did... And it sounds like everybody in the church is mad at you. But you know who's mad at you? See, when you get bitter, it attracts every other bitter person. If there's two people in the church who are bitter, 
they will be attracted to one another. They might not even know each other until their bitterness attracts them. By your standard of measure, what you listen to, what you listen to, by the standard that you listen to, it'll be measured back to you. And guess what? And more besides, people you didn't even have, people you didn't even ask to be in your friend circle will be in your friend circle. You know why? Because you determine what you, what, what you listen to. You can determine what's measured to you by what you chose to listen to. You want to change your life? Change what you listen to. <laughs> if you feed on garbage, don't be surprised if you're not healthy. Junk food. I'm almost done. I just have 12 more pages of notes. We're on page four. I just, uh, uh, give me five minutes. You all right? Five minutes? I was sitting in the bathtub. I love to sit in the bathtub. I have a clawfoot, old fashioned bathtub. It rocks. I don't like showers. I like to see what I'm... (laughs) I like to see my accomplishments. I'm like, oh yeah, I was really dirty. And on Saturdays... Yeah, don't visualize. The prophetic people are all like, Kind of like Bathsheba. It's like Bath Chris. Like, don't, don't look. On Saturdays, I like to lay in the bathtub forever. I read my Bible. I pray on there on Saturdays. It's just been my custom just forever. And uh, one Saturday, I was in the bathtub, and it was wintertime, and I was like, I was sitting in there. And you know, I don't know. If, do you ever do this? Like, Do you ever like sit in a tub, and like when it gets cold, you just take your toe and just turn on the hot water and warm it all up again? And you just lay in there a little longer, then it gets cold, and you turn on. I just love to do that. (laughs) Seriously, and I'm ambidextrous with my feet. I can turn on the hot water with either toe. I was laying there, and I was like on Saturday, on a Saturday in the middle of the winter, and and it was getting cold, and I turned it on, and I had done it like five times. And I said to myself, how cold will this water get? Like, if I don't turn on the hot water, how cold will it get? Like, will it freeze? Will there be ice cubes floating in here? I know, this is not deep. This is how simple I am. And I, I had that thought, and I, I laid there for a few minutes, and I said, I know how cold this, this bathtub will get. It will get 70 degrees. Exactly 70 degrees. You know why? Because before I got in the tub, I set the thermostat at 70 degrees. And I said to myself, oh, 70 degrees isn't the dominant temperature. 70 degrees is the temperature that I set the air conditioner to. And that's the temperature that has an ecosystem. And then I said to myself, oh, I see. See, good can overcome evil, right? Unless I cultivate evil. And then I realized that the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener on the side of the fence that I water. I know, this is way over most of your heads. I'll try to get down 
for some of you, just a minute. <laughs> and what I'm getting at is this, is that what I cultivate dominates. See, I can be a thermometer or I can be a thermostat. <laughs> if I'm a thermometer, I'm like, oh, it's cold in here. Oh, it's hot here. I'm always complaining about the culture because I'm not the one setting the thermostat. Somebody else is. And I am a response. I am I'm a response. I am reflecting the culture. I'm not transforming it. And so I go from place to place, and I'm always complaining about the atmosphere. You know why? Because I am dominated by something that someone else cultivated, because I don't cultivate my own stuff. <laughs> See, the Bible says arise and shine. It doesn't say arise and reflect. I'm supposed to have a source. I'm saying I'm always complaining about other people because the truth is is that my well-being depends on everyone else because I am a thermometer and not a thermostat. I'm on, I wonder why my life goes like this. And my life goes like that because I am the victim of what someone else cultivates because I don't cultivate anything. And Jesus said, remember this in Revelation, he said, he said, I would that you were hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. What does lukewarm mean? Lukewarm is the proverbial temperature of the room. It's the temperature when no one makes an effort to make it hot or cold. What is lukewarm? It's, what the, te- it's the temperature of when I make no effort in God. I don't do anything. I am, I am 100% affected and affected by what everyone else is doing around me. I'm lukewarm. It takes an effort to make me cold. It makes, takes an effort to make me hot. I'm not hot or cold. I'm just whatever everyone else is. How do I change my life? I change my life by changing my mind. I change my mind by getting around people who have healthy thoughts. Around being around people who actually think like God. I change my life by actually following Jesus and not just believing in Jesus. I change my life by watching out what I listen to because whatever I listen to is going to be measured back to me even more than I want it to be. I change my life by cultivating goodness in my life. Cultivating goodness in my life. Not wanting to, actually doing it. And the last thing I want to say is I change my life by being full of hope and hanging around people who are full of hope. I love Joel Olstein. I love Joel. Well, my mama used to say. Because he perpetuates hope. He's like, well, he doesn't preach on this and this and this. No one preaches on everything. But he does what he's supposed to do. I want to read you. I want to finish with this. In 1950, Kurt Whitaker, a Harvard graduate and a John Hopkins scientist, did a series of experiments that tested how long rats could swim in high-sided buckets of circulating water before drowning. Some of you are like, poor rats. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Dr. Whitaker found that under normal conditions, a rat could swim for an average of 15 minutes before giving up and sinking. However, if he rescued the rats just before drowning, 
dried them off, and left them rest briefly, and then put them back in the same buckets of circulating water. The rats could swim for an average of 60 hours. Yes, 60 hours. If the rat was temporarily saved, it would survive 240 times longer than if it was not temporarily saved. This makes no sense. How could these rats swim so much longer during the second session, especially after just swimming as long as possible to stay alive during the first session? Dr. Ritiker concluded that the rats were able to swim longer because they were given hope. A better conclusion is that the rats were able to swim longer because they were given energy through hope. The rats had a clear picture of what being saved looked like, so they kept swimming. I want to finish with this thought. You've got to hang around rats <laughs> that are full of hope. You gotta find people that pour water on your fears, the fire of your fears, and pour gasoline on the fire of your destiny. You gotta hang around with rats in the rat race who know they're being saved so that they persevere in hard times and not give up after 15 minutes of I tried. You gotta hang around people who have hope because hope keeps you swimming through hard times. Hope pushes you through the hard relationship that you had to give up and the nights that you spend alone by yourself thinking, oh, maybe I should go back to that relationship. No, people that give you hope inspire you to keep going, to find a love that is healthy instead of one that's unhealthy because you're afraid that you'll be alone. I'm speaking to someone right now. This is not an example I've used in public. There's people in here, you... Gave up your lover for God. But you got to hang around people who are swimming because they know they're going to be saved. Because otherwise you're going to go back to that thing. Proverbs says, to a famished person, any bitter thing seems sweet. How do I change my life? You hang around people who are giving you hope. You're hanging around people that when you have the temptation to go back, you're like, hey, don't go back there. That, you, you're better than that. You deserve better than that. That person abuses you. Don't go back to that thing. Come on, cultivate. Like, take your will and cultivate goodness. It'll come to you. Listen to the right things. Don't listen to his stuff. Don't listen to her stuff anymore. Don't listen to that stuff. Shut it off. Cut it off. Turn the radio off. Turn that music off. Turn that thing off. Turn that person off. Just don't answer their phone calls. Well, look, block their calls. I'm dead serious. People can get to us so easy now. We have cell phones and internet and Twitter and Twitter and Twitter. And... You can't get away from people. You can't have a break. It's because the machines are after us. There must be 20 ways people can leave their lover now. They can leave an Instagram message and a text message and a this message and that message and a what's up and what isn't up and what's going on. It's just ridiculous. People can't, you can't get away from the voices. Sometimes you just have to shut the dang thing off. You have to block the voice. I'm not kidding. You have to block the voice. You have to block the call. You have to block their email. You have to say, no, I'm leaving that old life and I can have a relationship with you when I get solid here. When I've cultivated my own, when I have my own, with me? Are you with me? I got my own ecosystem.
But you know, and I just want to say this, just feel Holy Spirit on this right now. I, I want to say that some of you, you're building your, if you will, you're building your air conditioning system. It's not installed yet. You're, you're, you know, and, and when it's not, you've got to live in other people's air conditioning for a season. And you want to make sure, if you will, are you with me? That it's hot or it's cold. In other words, that it's actually an ecosystem that's healthy for you. And while you're building your own, you have to say to people like, no, no, I can't do that right now. And you really can't because you're not strong enough to do those people right now. You're not strong enough to be around those people and listen to their garbage. And this is how you're going to change. You do this for a couple of years, which may seem forever, but you do this for a couple of years and you're like, I'm established now. Now I can reestablish my friendships with people who, who used to take me down because now I can pull them up. Because now I'm a woman of God. I'm a man of God. I, I'm confident in the work God did in me. And I have, I've said yes, I have willed the right thing long enough that I have a pattern of my own ecosystem. I have watered this lawn long enough that you can walk on it a few times and you're not going to wear my grass out because it's not brand new lawn that I have to put a string around. You can walk on my lawn. It is solid. I have been working on it for two years. It has deep roots. You're getting me, right? You understand. I'm giving you a lot of metaphors to say you can't change your life, but if you change what you think about and you change your friend circle and you say yes to the right things and you, and you do what you will, not what you want. Then even when you're asleep, <laughs> you'll agree with God. Would you stand? I'm gonna. <laughs> that was perfect. I loved it. I love preaching over here. It feels like family. It's so nice to not have streaming. Or screaming. Sometimes they scream when I stream. No, on a serious note, it is good to just feel home at home with you all. And I, I really love it here. And I'm so proud of what's happening here. And I'm part, proud to be a small part of it. And, and to be a father to a part of it. And it's just beautiful. Um, so I, I'm very proud of, of you all. Um, I just want you to say this out loud. Just why don't you put your hand on your heart and say it. Say, Jesus. I am following you. You are my Lord. And you're my daddy. And I'm your son or daughter. And I was born to win. I was born to be successful. I was born to be wealthy. I was born to be successful and live an abundant life and to be full of light and to be full of joy. And when I go through dark seasons, and I'm in the shadow of the valley of death, I know you're with me. Because wherever there's a shadow, there's got to be a light. And I thank you, God, that you are not the light at the end of the tunnel. You're the light in the tunnel. You're always with me, no matter what I'm going through. You're even with me when I have a bad attitude. Because you're faithful. Even when I'm faithless. Because you can't deny yourself. And so Lord, today, I receive grace for an abundant life. 
to say no to people who influence me in a bad way and to say yes to a new group of friends who are full of hope, who are healthy, and who are wise so that I can walk with wise people and healthy people and become wise and healthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless.